and welcome to the Council 4 AppsMe podcast. We're called Council 4 Unplugged. I'm Larry Dorman at our Council 4 AFSME Union. We are proud to represent 35,000 workers across Connecticut in the public and private sector. And among the workers, we represent uh, upwards of 2,000 uh, uniformed police officers, municipal police officers throughout Connecticut. Uh, we are proud to represent uh, these women and men who patrol our communities and uh, help keep us safe. And I've got one of them here today who has an amazing story to tell. Her name is Karen Moorhead. She is a, an officer with the Montville Police Department. Karen, really glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Larry. Uh, Karen, we'll talk a little bit about the challenges of, of being a police officer, but um, the Boston Marathon is coming up in April on the uh, 18th, I believe, of uh, 2018. You will be running in that marathon, and uh, you have a special cause um, that you're running for. So I wanted our, our listeners to, to learn a little bit about uh, what you're doing. Thank you very much. So I am running for the Martin Richard Foundation, um, and Martin Richard was the eight-year-old boy that died at the second bombing on uh, on April um, of 2013 at the Boston bombing. And the, the fundraising and the charity is about uh, kindness and spreading joy and um, just being good citizens. And um, I was, I was inspired to choose that one because I was at um, the Boston Marathon as a spectator in 2013, and, um, and I just felt a connection with, with that group specifically. And when you were there as a spectator in 2013, um, so you were actually near uh, the finish line? I was. I was, um, I was just a little bit shy of the... Um, I was at the 26-mile marker, which was a little bit shy of where the second bombing happened. And um, when we heard the first bomb go off, we started making our way to the finish line um, to see if there was anything we could do to help. And the second bomb went off directly across the street from us. And so you were actually um, that 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 uh, very dark day. Um, you were helping people who were who were seriously and critically wounded. We did. We ended up um, kind of jumping over the barrier in the street and um, and we started helping just this one gentleman named Jared and um, after people saw us helping him they just started bringing more people over to us to help. Um, I think we ended up helping about 14 people and we put on maybe three tourniquets. Um, and, uh, of course, there was a, a somewhat well-known picture that went through the, the media. A newspaper photographer had taken a photo of, of you and other officers and emergency personnel tending to, uh, to Jared. And um, so that kind of went viral. Um, it did. It, yeah. it, it, uh, I thought it was pretty crazy that we all do our own things in times of crisis, and I thought it was pretty impressive that somebody from the media would be taking pictures. Um, and then, of course, I didn't know that happened, and it and it did go viral, and people started texting me after they had seen it, and I hadn't even seen it at that point. So right, and um, obviously it, it took a while, but then the, the scope and the depth of the tragedy, I'm sure, hit you. It it did. Um, we had no perspective of what had actually happened. We, I th I think I thought that there was some sort of explosion underground. Um, and it wasn't until we ended up at the firehouse on Boylston Street um, to clean up that we saw it on the news, that we saw the explosion. And the news um, personnel said that it was the first terrorist attack on U.S. soil. And that was really when I had an understanding of, um, of what had happened that day. 
Uh, how did you come to be involved with um, the Martin Richard Foundation? And perhaps you should uh, explain to listeners who Martin Richard was. So um, Martin Richard was the eight-year-old boy who died at the second bombing. Um, he was there. His sister lost um, a leg. His mother was also injured. Um, but he was the one that died at the bombing. Um, so last year I was at the marathon with my children, um, Ainsley and Brady, and um, we were cheering on the runners, and there was this woman who was really struggling to finish. She was about at the 26-mile marker, and um, she only had two tenths to go, and she was her legs just weren't working. And we were cheering her on, and then some more runners came and kind of scooped her up and helped her motivate and um, my son Brady looked at me and said, you know, why aren't you, why aren't you running this? And, and I said, yeah, you know what, I think I'm going to. Um, so I looked on to who was accepting charity runners. And um, I was looking for somebody that I would have a connection with. And I saw the Martin Richard Foundation and I thought, that's it. Like, that's. That's who I want to run for. Kind of like a sign. It was absolutely a sign. Yeah. So I um, I filled out the 10-page application, um, and I submitted it, and I crossed my fingers, and I heard back very quickly that um, I had been accepted, and I was very excited about that. And uh, so you will be running your first marathon. Now, you have been training, and you've done... Um, lower mileage or lesser mileage races. I, I have done a few lower mile races, right. but nothing, I have never done a marathon before. Um, how are you feeling? Excited, um, a little nervous, but uh, very excited and um, very honored to be selected to run for this charity. And uh, my understanding is that you must raise $8,000. You've committed to raising $8,000. I, I have. I have committed, and, um, and I must run, raise $8,000. Um, that, was, that was part of the deal, to run with the charity. So um, $8,000 will do so much good. This uh, group is actually building a uh, playground right now. They do um, sports events for... All, all ages and all um, ability kids, they do, um, they just spread kindness and um, doing good and um, being good citizens. And I believe in everything that they talk about. Yeah, well, I'll provide a reminder also at the end of this interview, but uh, where could people go if they wanted to make a contribution? I have a CrowdRise um, like link. Um, and um, if people don't want to do credit card, they could also just mail a check right to the foundation. I could get you that address information as right. well. Right. We'll provide that uh, at the end of the show. So just, uh, but if you go online to CrowdRise and put in your name, I right. think that will uh, bring up the... Um, CrowdRise Karen Moorhead. Good. And and I really urge listeners to, to make a contribution. It's an amazing thing um, Karen's doing. She's uh, really trying to honor the, the memory of a, of a special person and of, of the many people who are affected. Um, by that tragedy, by a terrorist attack. Uh, Karen, I wanted to get a little uh, into your job as well, um, what you've been doing for the, on behalf of the Martin Richard Foundation and your own running. Um, it ties into your job as a, as a Montville police officer. Can you explain? So I'm assigned to the schools. I am the DARE officer. Um, my primary responsibility is the elementary schools, but I do cover the middle school and the high school as well. Um, what I consider my most primary job, though, is making connections with the kids so that they have um, a better idea and a better, um, 
thought process about police um, changing their mindset from maybe that we are the enemy to that we are somebody that they can connect with. So I teach DARE in fifth grade. Um, I do an internet safety for fourth. I actually just do like a fun uh, check out my equipment in third. I do a, a Eddie Eagle NRA program for gun safety in second and kindergarten and uh, like a stranger danger in first. I'm constantly eating with the kids or playing at recess and um, just trying to make a connection that police are not the enemy, um, which usually carries through for those kids um, all the way up through until they graduate. So I have had um, DARE for most of the kids through the last two years that graduated. And even when I'm arresting them, um, it is a different atmosphere when the kids know me through the elementary school than when they're dealing with another police officer. And DARE again stands for? Drug Abuse Resistance Education. Right, right. So it's really interesting that um, this, this does tie into your job as well. It does. It, it's. And, and I know you, um, Karen, are also active and you're involved as an, an officer within our um, AFSCME Local 2504 I am. Um, union. And I think it's important for um, police officers, law enforcement personnel, public safety personnel to, to belong to a union. And uh, I think you would agree with that. I absolutely, absolutely agree. The union has uh, helped me out in the past. I had a, uh, a very lengthy um, issue within my town and um, a lengthy labor board uh, fight uh, with a win at the end, which was awesome. And um, it, it wouldn't have happened without right. the union backing and the fight that the union had, uh, especially because it was so long and it was uh, such an abuse of power of uh, the the yeah. management that um, I think I probably would have given up if that was just my fight to fight. Well, I'm glad you didn't. And, um, you know, without going too much into the details, this was a, a discrimination case. And, it um, was. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, we prevailed. And it does speak to the importance of having um, someone to d defend your rights on the job. Absolutely. You have a tough enough job um, out in the community as it is. Uh, just so proud of you. Um, I know we're uh, a few weeks away from the marathon. Uh, are you starting to get really pumped up and excited with the I, training? I'm very excited with the training. I'm glad that the cold snap is over and I'm really crossing my fingers that the, uh, the good weather continues. Um, I'm getting up to the higher miles, which is very exciting when I can yeah. check them off. Yeah. Um, a little nerve-wracking before I start them, but... Um, yeah, I, I'm very excited. We have a, uh, a fundraiser event coming up with the charity, uh, and it's at Fenway. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I think that Good. that would just be a, a fun night out um, to meet the people that are behind the charity and all of the runners that are, are raising money. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. So again, uh, I would encourage people, urge all of you to go to CrowdRise, um, type in Karen's name. It's uh, K-A-R-E-N Moorhead, M-O-O-R-E-H-E-A-D. Um, you can learn more about her efforts on behalf of the Martin Richard Foundation. We'll provide a link again at the end of the show, and you can also get more information on our Council 4 website at council4.org and on our Facebook page at Council 4. Uh, and again, we are just so proud of you. We're going to be rooting for you. The, the AFSCME Union family is Thank you uh, very much. going to stand behind you and do what we can to help you. So thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Karen Moorhead. We'll be back.
And we're back on Council for Unplugged. I'm Larry Dorman, and alongside me is our legislative advocate, Brian Anderson. And we're going to talk about a committee of uh, rich folks and CEOs that's uh, decided it knows what's best for fixing Connecticut's economy. So uh, let's get right into it. Brian, thanks for joining us here. Pleasure, Larry. Brian, can you talk to us about this Commission on Fiscal Stability, uh, what it is, why it was created, and uh, what their recommendations were? Yeah, this commission, Larry, is something that if, if it's almost hard to believe that this is real. It's so crazy. It is a commission that conservatives in the legislature passed to create a board of corporate CEOs to tell us what's wrong with the economy. And um, what they've done is come up with a, a list of recommendations. We're basically... Uh, force down wages and benefits for working families statewide. And the gist of it is aimed at public employees. Uh, what this panel recommended is uh, making it illegal for unions of state or municipal employees to negotiate for health care or for retirement. It would say that that is simply done by uh, legislative fiat. It also says that um, binding arbitration should be destroyed and uh, weakened and pushed down till it's ineffective. Right now, public employees are the only employees who lack right to strike. And binding arm was put in a stop. The bad old days when teachers would go on strike for two weeks at a time because their pay was so low. And Brian, um, before we talk about some more of the specifics that came out of this commission, uh, can you tell us uh, some of the people who were appointed to serve on it? Yeah, Larry, the cast of characters is uh, just uh, mind-blowing. Uh, most of these people are corporate CEOs who pay themselves in the millions of dollars per year. Uh, Jim Smith, who is the newly retired uh, CEO of Webster Bank, a bank his father started, who paid himself about $5 million a year. Uh, there's Jim Laurie, who is CEO of Stanley Black & Decker, who's paid himself for several years in a row now, more than $12 million a year. There's Robert Petricelli, who is uh, probably worth more money than both of the two aforementioned corporate uh, clones. Uh, Chris Swift, who is the uh, CEO of the Hartford. Uh, Greg Butler, who is the vice president of uh, Eversource and pays himself $2 million a year while charging the highest uh, consumer rates for electric service in the country. Uh, I think another interesting character is David Jimenez, who is one of the uh, principal lawyers in the Jackson and Lewis law firm, which is a notorious union-busting law firm. All that firm pretty much does is uh, make a fortune on anti-labor work. So it doesn't sound like uh, there were any advocates or representatives of, of workers uh, from the labor movement at all, which, of course, uh, makes it slanted. And, and before, again, we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more about their 
obnoxious recommendations, but uh, it was interesting that as this panel began the hearing process, Brian, and you were there at the legislature as, uh, as our union's advocate, uh, the Connecticut Business and Industry Association, Connecticut Business and Industry Association, excuse me, had actually endorsed um, the Fiscal Stability Commission's findings before they were even published. Through a brilliant uh, move of psychic telekinesis, uh, the CBIA predicted every single recommendation that this panel was going to make three weeks ago. And when we protested this, CBIA put out their legislative agenda and it said, uh, implement all the recommendations, the fiscal stability, we refer to it as the FIST Commission, um, and it listed what the recommendations were. And when we called this uh, attention to this in the news media, the commission members howled and said, oh, no, no, CBIA doesn't know what they're talking about. We don't have preordained outcomes. Well, it would appear if they don't have preordained outcomes that CBIA truly is telepathic because all of the outcomes are exactly what was in the commission report that came out yesterday. Yeah, and another troubling thing, Brian, was the fact that the commission, this commission, while uh, a creature of legislation, uh, actually is a private commission. And they, uh, Mr. Patricelli kind of crowed about that and um, labeled them civically. He said, "This is a, it's amazing what a group of private, civically engaged citizens can do. Uh, kind of alarming language, because actually uh, they had their own funding, including uh, uh, funding from Mr. Patricelli's own foundation, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this group actually operated outside of the, the norms of the, I think, of the legislative process, uh, which led uh, Connecticut Citizen Action, uh, and Common Cause, other groups to, to raise concerns about uh, why they weren't revealing their donors and why they weren't revealing the source of their funding because they hired a PR firm, uh, an accounting firm. They, they, they spent a lot of uh, private money that uh, uh, sends like a little bit of shadow government. Larry, you, you nailed it. This is the strangest body set up by government that I've seen in 37 years of working up at the state capitol. This body directly goes against the principle of democracy. Um, if these folks want to recreate government, they should run for the legislature. We don't allow a commission like this for any other citizen in the state uh, to try to influence the governmental process. We have a whole rule book of democracy where people can run for state representative or senator, try to get in there and affect policy. What the law setting up this commission said was this commission's findings must as a grouping go to legislative committees, surpass the normal process, and must be acted upon by the legislature. It is dubiously constitutional, to say the least, if someone had the, the money that it takes, the vast sums, to bring this to court. My bet is a judge would find this Hall Commission unconstitutional. Uh, well said. So, Brian, you, you mentioned at the outset of our interview, um, they have made, on, on March 1st, the committee um, released its recommendations. Uh, we kind of... Uh, uh, we label them as the Let Them Eat Cake uh, Commission. Uh, our executive director, Sal Luciano, said that in, in talking to reporters afterward. But it really was kind of this mishmash of, of, of tax cuts and, and favorable treatment for uh, the wealthy and big business. Uh, 
cuts to workers, uh, attacks on workers, and I, I feel like uh, in other states around the country, um, we and to a certain degree, Connecticut, we we've seen this play before, and it, it never ends well. And Larry, one of the most disturbing things is not only does this uh, commission aim at lowering the entire uh, wage base for working families, uh, taking public employees, which are a, a big chunk of the workforce. Um, as the hammer to do this with. The flip side is it gives massive tax breaks to the very members who sit on this commission. It would eliminate the estate and gift tax. There are less than 1% of Connecticut citizens, probably more like a tenth of 1%, whoever paid the estate tax. It doesn't kick in until uh, you receive about 5 or $6 million of wealth and an inherited gift. In other words, the people who received it, this kind of a gift, have done nothing to earn it except won the uh, genetic lottery of being born or a rich uh, family. <laughs> so it's it's an amazing, uh, an amazingly arrogant move that, that you have a bunch of self-paid millionaires who are blaming lower middle-income public employee working families for the state's woes, telling them they have to take less, telling them they are overpaid, while at the same time these CEOs are sneaking a vast tax break in for themselves to this commission report. A couple of things that I, I found galling uh, during their uh, public presentation on their recommendations and findings, and this will connect to, to what we're going to ask uh, people to do when talking to their own legislators, but um, in wrapping up the testimony, uh, Jim Laurie of uh, Stanley Works, Black & Decker, um, whose company has actually taken away pensions from its uh, workforce, from its blue-collar workforce. Uh, as you said, he's made millions of dollars a year plus all the stock options, um, and he, he hinted at the fact that uh, Stanley might have to reconsider leaving, have to consider rather leaving Connecticut if, if these recommendations weren't uh, implemented. So a little bit of uh, kind of extortion, corporate extortion, uh, gangster capitalism, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, uh, Robert Patricelli said to, to reporters that uh, the commission feels that its findings should be adopted as one complete package by the legislature. That seems a little arrogant. And that legislators, uh, he had the goal to say that if legislators uh, push back against uh, the, the findings as a whole, that would make them a quote-unquote soft target in the 2018 election. So um, we shouldn't mistake this for kind of what it is, which I do think is a little bit of gangster capitalism at work. It, it, you're right, Larry. It's it, it's amazingly arrogant. Um, Jim Laurie's a very thinly veiled threat is exactly that. A threat that if you don't do what we want, we're going to take jobs out of the state. Well, that's a very hollow threat because Jim Laurie has never kept a job in the state out of benevolence. Stanley has moved the vast majority of its work overseas uh, to have it, you know, the kind of workforce that you could basically pay in fish heads and rice. Uh, I'm sure you'd like to uh, recreate the same sort of situation here. The only reason they've kept work in this country is because they've had trouble in uh, third world countries getting the quality of work that they need. They've not kept a single job in Connecticut ever out of the goodness of their hearts. It's because they've made good profit here. And it shows what kind of poor patriots and what kind of poor citizens these folks are. 
that they threaten regularly, and, and they've been doing it for decades, that if you don't do exactly what they say, they're going to move jobs out. And if you meet their demands, they always come up with new demands. Um, that's why right now one in two American families are considered working poor uh, by the Associated Press after looking at U.S. Census data. It, it's why 95% of created newly created wealth has gone to the top 1% of uh, the richest in the country. When back during the Eisenhower presidency days, there was about a 50-50 split. 50% of that newly created wealth would go to working families, lower income, middle income folks, and help them buy a house, put their kid through college, the sort of things that we're losing today due to corporate greed. Well said, my friend. Uh, Brian, what can people do? Uh, we do have a description and uh, a write-up on our website and uh, about what the committee is recommending. Um, if people want to reach out to their legislators, what would their message be? Their message should be to reject the Fiscal Stability Commission's recommendations wholeheartedly. Um, they should say no more tax breaks for rich people after the vast federal tax breaks that President Trump just gave to the rich. The vast tax breaks to the rich that were given by uh, President George W. Bush on top of the vast tax breaks that President Reagan gave to the rich. Uh, tell, call your state representative, call your state senator, tell them to reject the fiscal stability, the FIST Commission's uh, recommendations for lowering working family wages and, and again giving a gigantic unwarranted tax break to the rich. Brian Anderson of Council 4, as always, you uh, you hit the nail on the head, um, and I really appreciate your, your being here on our Council 4 Unplugged podcast. Uh, you can follow our website at council4.org, our Facebook page at Council 4, Twitter at AFSMECT4 for updates on these and other legislative issues affecting working families. Um, and before we close it out, just want to remind you, please do consider supporting police officer Karen Moorhead from uh, the Montville Police Department. She's the president of our AFSME Local 2504 bargaining unit representing the Montville Police. She's running in the Boston Marathon for an important cause to help the Martin Richard Foundation. And if you go to crowdrise.com and type in Karen Moorhead's name, K-A-R-E-N-M-O-O-R-E-H-E-A-D, you can make a contribution and help her raise the money to uh, support an incredible foundation doing important work in the aftermath of the um, Boston Marathon terrorist attack five years ago. Thank you again for listening to Council 4 Unplugged. I'm Larry Dorman, and we will see you soon. Take care.